Thanks be to God for the word. Thanks be to God for each other. Thanks be to God for this week. Will you please pray with me? God of grace, God of mercy, God of wonders, thank you for all of us. Thank you for every person you have made. Thank you for all you have shown us. Thank you for bringing us together. Meet us in our places of need as well as our places of joy. And help us this day to grow closer to you and to see you in whatever parts of our life you are calling to us. Amen. A couple years ago, um, I realized that I was doing something strange, or at least strange for here. Uh, I'd go to somebody's house, right? And the first thing that people do often when you go to their house is they offer you a drink, right? Would you like water? Would you like juice? Would you like whatever? And this was happening to me, right? I'm a social person. I go to people's houses, and they offer me uh, water. And every single time without fail, regardless of whether I was thirsty or not, whether I was coughing or not, whether I had walked 20 miles or taken the bus, um, I would say, no, no, I don't need any water. No, oh, no, no, I'm fine. Thank you, though. No, I'm fine. Um, and then we'd hang out and have a great time. And as often as not, I'd find myself being incredibly thirsty the whole time and wondering why I had said no to the water, right? Um, and so I started to think about it. And there are a couple of reasons, uh, a few of which I'll share. But the first one is that I grew up in Japan until I was about eight years old. Um, and in Japan, the way that hospitality works is that when someone offers you something in their home, you say no at least two or three times first, right? You're like, oh, no, I, I, I'd never burden you with that. Oh, no, you absolutely don't have to do that. But they will keep offering it and make sure that you get it eventually, right, by the third or fourth time. So I'm working from a system where I'm supposed to say no, and then I get the water anyway. But I'm doing my part, and the water's not showing up. <laughs> I'm doing my part of the dance, <laughs> but my partners learned a different dance growing up. Uh, and we're missing each other in the middle. <laughs> it's not working. Um, that happens to a lot of us, right? These cross-cultural miscommunications. But this particular one uh, says something deeper to me, not just about um, the culture that Japan is, but about the culture that America is. Uh, my mom used to do international studies prep with international students. And there's a whole list of like, weird things about Americans you should know. Um, and one of them is, you know, if you go to somebody's house in America and they say, make yourself at home, um, and then like leave you to your own devices, they do really want you there, right? They're not, they're not being disrespectful. They're not trying to get you to leave. That's Americans show hospitality with informality, right? They show it with casualness. Don't be offended. Don't worry about it. Um, and part of why we do that, I think, that like kind of do your own thing, go your own way, get your own stuff, like go to the kitchen and get your own glass, is because we prize in this country, often and in most places, although not always and with everyone, this value of independence and individualism above all things, right? Above all other values, above all other ways of being. There's a reason that tomorrow, July 4th, one of our biggest civic holidays, is called Independence Day, right? Um, that's what we are. We're independent, right? We're like, we do things on our own. We don't need anyone. We are self-sufficient. There are a lot of things to love about July 4th. Um, barbecues, day off, 
hanging out with people. Uh, there are a lot of things to be skeptical of about it. Um, not least the fact that most of us in this room had no independence on July 4th, 1776. Most of us, by virtue of our gender or our race or our sexual orientation, would have been afforded no rights in the new society that was being built. There's a lot to be skeptical of about this day. Um, but from a Christian perspective, I think one of the things to be most skeptical of is this idea of independence. Is this idea of the goal is to be self-sufficient and alone and never have any needs that other people fulfill for you, right? That our goal is to be um, by ourselves, separate, totally fine. There's something to be skeptical of about that. There's a beauty in the idea of independence from injustice, of breaking out of relationships that are oppressive but somehow we've twisted that to mean not just changing relationships from unjust to just, but getting rid of all our relationships, being alone, having no needs. I think this is another place where my glass of water thing came from, right? It's like, oh no, I would never have a need. I would never burden you with my need for food or water, with my need for companionship. There's a lot to be skeptical of from this as a Christian because of this scripture that we just read and many others. The scripture is Jesus sending out his followers in one of the first missions, right? One of the first uh, times of spreading the message that the kingdom of God is near and healing and justice and love and adoration and all of these wonderful gifts that God has to offer, they are close. And what he says to those people is not Man, those people in the towns out there, they are in bad shape. You have so much to offer them. Go fix their lives. He says, you are a lamb. Take no shoes. Take no bags. Take no food. Prepare not at all. And depend entirely upon the hospitality of the people you will find where you go. Depend entirely upon the hospitality of the people you will find where you go. Go into their houses and offer them peace. And if they don't want you there, that's fine. But if they do want you there, take whatever they have to offer, whatever food, whatever drink, whatever bed. You are in need. I send you out with nothing. Learn how to accept gifts. Learn how to accept love. Learn how to accept all that other people have to offer you. It's a total reversal of the way that we usually think about this concept of evangelism that we've been working through in the sermon series this month, right? Um, there's a concept of evangelism that's out there right now, which is like, we have the most awesome thing in the world. We have the perfect message. You suck. We're going to change your life, right? Magic. We, have, we are bringing everything to you. But what Jesus is saying is, yes, you have a wonderful message. You have a relationship with me. It is of value. Knowing that people are loved is valuable, and I want you to go and tell them knowing that the kingdom of God is near and valuable, and I want you to go and tell them. But also, this thing is mutual. <laughs> Other people have things to offer you. Other people have things to teach you. Other people have gifts that I have given them, and I invite you to go out and learn how to receive them. To learn how to be a person in need, and to learn how to take what is offered as a gift. Because none of us are made to be alone. That's a part of this God thing that we are doing. 
I don't know about you, um, but to me that sounds beautiful. <laughs> it sounds like Jesus, and it also sounds incredibly scary. <laughs> because I don't want to depend on other people. What if they don't show up for me? I don't want to need other people. What if they reject me? I don't want to depend on the community because what if they hate or hurt me? That does not sound good or fun to me. And yet, and yet, it is our challenge. And it is our challenge in a place that is particularly hard to accept this idea that we all might need something, that we all might be in need of the community and one another. Um, I was thinking about this welfare reform has been coming up a lot, again, in news and politics lately, right? And there's a particular way that, that the media, um, this country has talked about welfare, which is a classist, racist way of saying um, that people who need help are moochers. People who need help are less than. Uh, that's not what I see in my friends and my family members who have used our various welfare programs, right, as cut down as they are. Um, my friends and family who've used food stamps, who've used WIC when they had a baby, who lived in project housing or gotten housing vouchers, um, they are all extraordinary people who I have learned from. They are all people who um, are of value and contribution in the world. And we are equal in our need. <laughs> it's just that when I have had needs in my life, which I've had many times, um, I could call up my mom instead of the federal government. I could call up a friend instead of the state of Illinois. But there's nothing different about people who have need from these programs and people who have need from somewhere else. We are united. We are united as human beings in the fact that we need others. Some of us just have to admit it more publicly than others. How can we have gotten to this place where the one thing that unites us all, <laughs> that we need each other to eat, that we need each other to drink, that we need each other to love and have friendship, is something that we think should be hidden, something that we think should be we should be ashamed of, um, when it's something that all of us share, that we are in need of all kinds of things, but most especially of the community. This is not a shame. <laughs> Mutuality um, is at the heart of who Christ is and who Christ is inviting us to be in this world where we have need of each other. Not classes of haves and have-nots, not classes of givers and receivers, but people who go out into the world um, recognizing in our vulnerability, in our honesty, how much we need from other people and taking as much as we give and giving as much as we take and recognizing that all relationships can be equal in our mutual desire for, in our mutual need of, the gifts that we all have been given. Like I said, we've been talking about evangelism these last couple of weeks, and whenever I think about evangelism, I think about, <laughs> I used to do interfaith work. I do like interfaith service events and discussion groups, and one of the groups that I worked with was a group at a university that was hugely diverse. I mean, just people from every single tradition in the world and no tradition at all. Um, and they would have a discussion once a week and then a dinner once a month about big topics in the world, big stuff. Um, and most of them, just by virtue of like who shows up at that group, had a sort of um, view of the world as like 
we're all walking up the same mountain, right? Like all traditions are mostly the same, but then there were a couple people who really held fast to like, no, my, my tradition is right. Like I wish you shared it, I know you don't, and we can still be friends, but my tradition is correct. And one of them was a Mormon guy who had just come back from his mission abroad, where he had been in mission, a missionary for two years. Um, and they all were friends and they all got along, but like that was one difference between them. Some of them believed that everyone kinda, all traditions are the same in the end. He, he really wanted people to embrace his. And one night, um, the, the discussion at hand was, can you imagine ever being evangelized to and changing your mind? What do you think it would take for you to change your tradition? This was the question before them, just as kind of like a, you know, let's explore the big questions, guys. Like 2 a.m., it's college. Um, and so the, the group is asked that. Can you imagine ever changing significantly, like profoundly at the base of it, what you believe about what, how the world works? And almost no one raised their hand. There was only one hand in the air saying, yes, I can imagine changing everything about what I believe and everything about how I experience the world. And it was that guy that everybody had thought of as the most closed off, right? The most unopened, um, this guy who had just finished his mission. And they were like, please, elaborate, <laughs> tell me more, right? And what he said was that it was exactly because he had spent the last two years in mission. He said, I can't possibly have spent years like meeting new people and loving them and getting to know them and asking them to imagine changing everything about who they are unless I was willing to do the same. Every day of the last two years, I woke up and I imagined, what would it take, right? What could someone say to me that would draw me towards them and that would make me question what I had experienced and embrace an entirely new experience? I could never have done what I did unless I was also willing to believe that that might happen to me, <laughs> that that might be true of me too. There are plenty of things about his particular perspective on evangelism that I don't necessarily share theologically, but that one is one that I can respect and one that I was taught by so deeply. That if there's ever anything, right, whether it's water or food or friendship or our faith or God that we seek to invite someone to, we better think of that relationship as a mutual one and be willing to be invited into newness, into growth ourselves. This church had an evangelism event last Sunday, right? We were at Pride Parade. Um, and I think it's so important to be there to offer, in a world that is um, prejudiced against GLBT people that does not see and does not proclaim the ways in which they are made by God to be exactly who they are, it's really important for us to be there. And we hand out little pieces of paper that say, right, Cisgender or transgender, HIV positive or HIV negative, doubter or believer, God loves you and you are welcome here. And it is a powerful and profound experience, and I love it. I love being on the sidelines and telling people that they're loved, and I love having the conversations about the difficulties people have had with the church and what they see happening next. <coughs> but what I was surprised by was how much that experience was not just about what I had to offer, but about what was being offered to me. Not because Jesus told me to, but because I am a forgetful human being. Um, last Sunday, I had all those little pieces of paper but I forgot, like, you may be able to see from my face, sunscreen, water, <laughs> these sort of basics of walking for four miles on a hot day. 
And I was shocked by how many people could just kind of see that happening and people on the sidelines who I didn't know, who were involved with their friends, who were doing other stuff, who may have no interest in the church and no interest in God and that's fine, would stop me and say like, oh, I have sunscreen in my bag, do you need any? Oh, I have a bottle of water, do you need one? At some point, my husband and I had a miscommunication and I have a little girl, she's 13 months. And um, like the baby had gotten passed to me, but not all of her accoutrement had gotten passed to me, not all of her stuff. And so I had to stand at the edge to try and get some more stuff. And a dozen people immediately were like, oh, do you need help? Oh, do you, do you, can I go get you something? Can I go, I, I, I see you just like standing here with this baby. Can I go uh, get you a piece of paper? Can I play with her? Can I, you know, anything to help. Um, the offers of help came so quick and so fast, not because people were there to promote anything, but because that's how community works at its best. <laughs> because we were there to celebrate the fact that we are all made to be who we are, and when we celebrate that, it's not just about who we are individually, it's about who we are as a community. That when we take the step to be vulnerable, to be honest about the ways in which the world has seen us and the ways in which we are loved anyway, the ways in which we are extraordinary anyway, it gives us the power and the gift to say that to other people. Love isn't something you keep to yourself. Pride in the midst of vulnerability isn't something you keep to yourself. It's something you wanna share and it's something that connects us. It's not just about who I am, it's about who we are. It's a daring way to approach the world. It's a risky way to approach the world, living in your vulnerability and need and being honest about them so that people can show up for you. But it's a heck of a lot better than the other way. <laughs> I realized at some point that for me, my like weird glass of water tick was not just about cross-cultural differences. Um, that even once I realized that I was just dancing a different dance than the other folks, I had a lot of trouble saying yes <laughs> when someone asked me if I needed something or wanted something because I just had a lot of trouble feeling like I was burdening them. And it wasn't just in these little acts of hospitality, it was in a lot of my friendships. I started to look at phone calls I would have with friends and realized that um, I would ask them a million questions about their lives and I wanted to hear all about their stories and I wanted to hear all about how things were going and then when they asked me, I would often be like, oh, I'm fine. Oh, you don't need to hear about my problems, right? Oh, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't burden you with that. That I, at every step, um, thinking that it was something I was offering to the world, right? Thinking that I was, pretending that I was being selfless, <laughs> what I was actually doing was putting walls up around myself. Because it felt too scary to admit to people that I had problems, and it felt too scary to admit to people that I was in need, and it felt too scary to just kind of like be out there in my neediness. <laughs> asking people to show up for me. But it's so much better to be out there imperfect, to be out there in need, than it is to look whole but be surrounded by a prison. <laughs> to look whole but have walls that separate you from this community that many parts of it, all of what they want is to show up for you. Vulnerability is scary and it is hard and it goes against a lot of our instincts, but that does not mean that it isn't worth it. It is. It's part of what Jesus is teaching us with the way that he tells people to go out. 
He's not making them be vulnerable as a test. He's making them be vulnerable as a gift. Because once you learn how to do that, everything else becomes a little easier. You don't have to spend so much time pretending. You don't have to spend so much time building up walls. You can just be. And all of your messiness and all of your needs, hoping and praying that the community shows up for you and trusting that God will be with you no matter what happens next. It doesn't always work out, but the times when it does, the times when we receive as much as we offer, I think are the most beautiful moments that we share with God. There's, some of you may have heard of uh, effective altruism. Effective altruism. There are a couple of philosophers out there, doctors and professors, who are promoting this view that there's one way to change the world and to offer your financial resources and gifts, and that is basically make as much money as you can, live on as small a percentage of it as you can, and give it all to one or two of the most effective charities you can find, right? Usually like developing world health nonprofits, low admin. And then you will make the most change in the world, and anything else is like copping out. And there's a lot that I learned from that perspective. I think there's a lot of good challenge in that perspective about how much do we care about others as opposed to ourselves? How much are we living with a recognition of a community in addition to ourselves? Um, but when I heard it, you may be on different spiritual journeys than me, but my journey when I hear that is like, oh, one more thing I'm not doing well. <laughs> one more way I'm failing the world, right? Oh, I should do that, but I don't know how. I don't know if I can. I give too much to too many different organizations, just tiny amounts. I'll never make a change in any of them, right? I'm spreading myself too thin. I'm not doing what these people say to do. But then I was reminded this week of why sometimes I spread myself a little thin, of why sometimes I respond to the people who are near me as well as to the people who are far away. When a friend of mine sent me a GoFundMe, something that ha probably happens to most of us, right? Every couple of weeks, it's a pretty common experience nowadays. Um, and she sent me a GoFundMe for a lawyer. Uh, she is, uh, had gone on a couple dates with someone several months ago, and um, that person had started harassing her, um, emails and calls several times a day, cruel language, um, and when she had attempted to get a restraining order, right, not to put this person into the carceral state, not to ruin their lives, but just to try and get some safety. Um, that person is also a woman and there tends to be, I think, sexism that women can't harass, as well as sort of a not understanding that LGBTQ relationships uh, can be as beautiful and loving as all other relationships, but they also have the potential for abuse, just like all other relationships, um, was not granted any of those protections that someone else might have been in her situation. And so she asked all of her friends, because she doesn't have the money, most of us don't have the money, to show up and help her get a lawyer. And I contributed like 25 bucks, right, what I had, what I could. Um, and I was reminded of that. No, like I didn't heal a sick kid, but part of the reason why I do that is because it makes me feel like I'm a part of a community that's functioning. <laughs> it makes me feel like just like she is honest about her need and we respond, I can be honest about my need and it will be responded to. I thought about the other GoFundMes I've gotten and been a part of. Um, 
people seeking money for top surgeries that their insurance won't cover, or people seeking money for funerals for their cousins that they don't have the resources to put on the way that they want to, a teacher friend who wanted to take her students to a place at a school that had no funding, right? And, and in all of those, the little bit that I gave did not put anything over the top. <laughs> I didn't feel like I was personally changing a life, but I did feel like I was a part of a community that was showing up. I was a part of a group that was taking care. I was a part of a world that sees each other and that would see me if I ever needed it. There is something worthy about the little things. There is something transformative about the small relationships, the contributions we make to each other, and it's something worth preserving, even as we challenge ourselves to transform the world in big ways. There is no shame in having needs. We all do. It would only be a shame if we spent so much time hiding them that we never really got to know each other and that we never really got to show up for each other. I read an article this week that suggested a spiritual act of casual gratitude that I've been trying in myself and have been surprised by how hard it is, but I would commend it to you if you're looking for something this week, that every time you feel like saying, I'm sorry, find a way to turn it into a thank you. So say you're late to a meeting, right? And your first instinct is like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I'm late, the bus, the blah, 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 blah. Instead say, thank you so much for waiting for me. Thank you so much for your time. You bump into somebody, right? And oh, I'm so sorry, I bumped into you. Thanks so much for your grace. Thanks so much for being nice about it. That turning the I'm sorry into thank yous takes us away from this place where it's all about us and all about the ways that we're supposed to be perfect and we've fallen short of that and turns our lives into a constant understanding of the ways in which nobody is perfect and we're all showing up for each other with grace and patience, ideally. It alerts us to the ways in which people accommodate themselves to us, not because we are burdens, but because they are loving and because love is something that all of us deserve. A world of thank you is a world that I want to live in and a world that I think Jesus is calling us to. So tomorrow, fed by Jesus, transformed by Jesus, I hope that we can appreciate everything there is to appreciate about Independence Day, from the fireworks, right, to the history, the stories. Um, but I hope that we change it in our hearts a little bit so that instead we are celebrating interdependence day, right? Celebrating a day that nothing happens to just one of us, that we never get anywhere alone, that everything takes all of us and we are put into communities not to be ashamed of what we need, but to be honest and open about who we are. And God has told us that we can be met there and that that is one of the most beautiful places for us to live. Not seeking to be perfect, but to be honest. Not seeking to not need, but seeking to always love and to receive and accept love when it is offered. This is our journey, this Interdependence Day, and I am glad to be on the journey with you and not alone. So let's help each other. In Jesus' name we give thanks. Amen. <laughs>